0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, turn your, your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, if you're using one of the bibles in the pew it's page 984 and we're getting back to our study of colossians today it's called rooted and built up how jesus is enough for life and today we're talking about relationships how the gospel transforms relationships now last time we we began in in chapter 3 and Just to refresh you, Paul is talking here about things that we're to put off and things that we're to put on. And he's picturing it as two sets of clothes, two wardrobes. There's one that we're to be done with, and there's a new one that we are to to put on. And he's talking today about, about putting off certain things in relationships And putting on certain things in relationships and how the gospel transforms relationships. Let's look at it together. We're going to focus today. We looked at verses 1 through 7 last time. But I want to go back and read 1 through 7 just to get back in the whole flow of the chapter here. And we're going to focus this morning on verses 8 through 14. So let's look beginning with verse 1 of chapter 3. "...the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark about how relationships are supposed to function in a way that honors you in, in, a, in a healthy way, in a happy way. Father, we acknowledge that, that all of us have fallen short in, in these areas. All of us would have to acknowledge that there have been many times in our lives where the, the, th- the very things that we're supposed to, uh, to put off. Uh, have been a part of our lives and a part of the way that we treat other people and we would have to confess to you that that there have been so many times in our lives when the things that that we're supposed to put on that that we have not as put on as we should but we we thank you for the gospel (laughs) we thank you for the new life that we have in christ Uh, we thank you that our acceptance with you is not based on our performance, but on the performance of our Savior upon the cross. We thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for the way that the gospel transforms our hearts, and it transforms the way that we relate to other people. We're not there yet. None of us has arrived, but you are doing a work in our lives, and we thank you for it, and we pray that you would show us by your word and in the power of your spirit today about how relationships are transformed by the good news of the gospel. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In April of 1992, I was a student at Southeastern Seminary, and I can remember vividly sitting in my dorm room one night when the breaking news came scrolling on the bottom of the screen that riots had broken out in Los Angeles. And as things went from bad to worse and spiraled more and more out of control, the man whose case was sort of the, the spark that lit the flame, Rodney King, appeared on TV, and he he appeared before just a, a huge sets of of TV cameras, and he was he was trembling, he was stammering, and he and he stammered out those now famous words, "Can't, can't we all just get." Along. Why is it that, as human beings, we yearn for relationships, and yet so often we find relationships are so hard. <laughs> the young couple that that sits in the pastor 's study their their eyes just filled with excitement about their impending marriage, which they believe is going to be something like heaven on earth, and a few years later it has ended in something closer to hell on earth. The church that begins as a a unified group of people on a mission to reach their city for Jesus Christ, a few years later has come apart at the seams because of personality conflicts, leaving the people, the very people that they wanted to reach for Christ, uh, further away from Christ than ever, the team, whether it's the team at the office or the team at work or the athletic team that has a feeling of unity, they have slogans like there is no I in team, finds out that there certainly is an I in selfishness. And selfishness has run amuck and blown up their team. Well, how do we have, uh, what, how, what kind of behavior characterizes happy, healthy marriages and churches and teams and friendships? Well, that, that's what Paul is talking about in this text. And to, to, to answer that question, what he's doing is he's picturing these two sets of clothes. He pictures this, this wardrobe that is Is filthy and gross that we are to strip away and that's to be replaced by a wardrobe that is beautiful and attractive. But before we can put on the new wardrobe we have to strip away the old. And so that's where he begins here and in, in, in verse 8. So let's, let's check out. He talks first of all about the things that we're to put off. This is the, the old set of clothes that, that we're, to, we're to strip off. We're, in fact, we're to, we're to strip this set of clothes off as if it's been sprayed by a skunk. This is gross. We want to get rid of it. What does he talk about here? What, what, what are some of the things that characterize that, that old wardrobe? Verse 8. But now... You must put them all away. And now he begins to talk about this, this list of things that characterize the, the old set of clothes. And the first thing is, is anger. Uh, this is uh, s- smoldering, uh, seething, just the, the pressure building in, in, inside, just like pressure building inside of a pipe. And then he talks about wrath. This is what happens when the pipe bursts and when... The sewage comes pouring out in the form of, of angry words, angry actions. And then he talks about malice. We're to put away malice, which is an in, inward evil uh, plotting, the intention to harm other people. And then slander, which is malice in action. These are words to assassinate the, the, the character of other people, to, to tear down others. And then he talks about putting away obscene talk from your mouth, which is foul, abusive speech. And then in verse 9, do not lie to one another. We're to, we're to strip away all dishonesty. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that God takes dishonesty so seriously that that two people in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, dropped dead on the same day because of their dishonesty in the early church. Now, when we look at this, at this list of things that we are to, to strip away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscenity, dishonesty, let's note a, a couple of, of things. First of all, as Christians, sometimes we're tempted to elevate the sin of obscenity while engaging in the others. You know, We, we can go around and, and slander people and tear people down, but as long as we don't use curse words or foul language in the process, then we can maintain a modicum of outward respectability, right? But God doesn't elevate the sin of obscenity above the others on the list. He puts them all on the same list. And we're to be just as committed to getting rid of these other things, to stripping away these other things as we are to getting rid of bad language in our in our speech. And so, but sometimes as believers, I think we're tempted to elevate obscenity and go and, and, and still engage in these other things which are are horrible. And so we can go around and, 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 and tear down people or uh, lie or whatever. We can be angry people, angry and that anger can come out behind the closed doors of our homes and our family life and 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 it can come out in the church and in where we all kinds of different settings. These are things that we, we've got to deal with as Christians. We've got to strip these things away. These things have no place in our lives. A second observation about the list is that God calls us to put off sinful attitudes as well as the sinful actions. Now, when we think about slander, for instance, those are, those are words That we speak, they come out, they're external. Uh, Same thing with dishonesty, with lying, okay? That's something that comes out externally, an action. But see, this list calls us to strip away more than just the external junk, right? It calls us to strip away things like anger and malice. Those are attitudes of the heart, And so God calls us not just to to get rid of the external junk, but the internal junk that leads to the external junk. These are the things that we are to to put off. Now, he talks about what we are to put on, beginning in verse 12. What is the new wardrobe that we are to put on in, in relationships? He says, put on then We were put on, first of all, compassionate hearts, which is a tenderness. It's a, it's, a, it's a pity for those who are are hurting. He says that we're to put on kindness, which is a, a sweet spirit, a sweetness in disposition. And then humility and meekness, which go together. This is being considerate of other people, uh, putting other others above ourselves. The opposites of humility and meekness would be... Arrogance and self-assertiveness. And then he tells us to put on patience, which is a gentle willingness to to bear with other people, to to, uh, to bear with people, which he talks about in, in verse 13, and to forgive others, which he also talks about in verse 13. And then in verse 14, he says, Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the glue that, that binds all of these other things, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. Love is like the glue that just binds all of these other things together, and it's the glue that binds people together. Love is the lubricant that reduces the friction in relationships right and so he says above all of these put on love now when we look at these two lists together the things that we're to put off and the things that we're to put on the first thing that occurs to me is thank god for the gospel (laughs) because we have all failed uh, miserably to uh, in in both of these in both of these things The, the things that we're supposed to uh to to put off have too often been a part of our lives. The things that we're to put on have too often not been there in our lives as we should. I mean, sometimes when we think about these things, we, we can, we've can all felt like the Apostle Paul feels in the seventh chapter of Romans when he says, oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, sometimes the very, the very things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and the, the very things that I hate, I, I, I do, and the things I, I want to do, I find myself not doing, we've, we've all been there, okay? We've all been there. And so thank God for the gospel. Because if our acceptance with God was based on, on our performance in regard to both of these lists then we would be doomed. But the gospel tells us that our acceptance with God is not based on our performance. It's based on the performance of our Savior upon the cross for us. Thank God for the gospel. Okay, we've, we've, we've all fallen short. We, we're all, none of us has arrived. We're, we're all in process, and we're going to talk in a few minutes about, about how that's working. But if we've come to know Christ we have a desire to change. We want to be more loving people. We want our lives to be characterized by more compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and love. If we've been born again, the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to change. Now, how does that happen? How does that process of transformation happen in our lives? That's what we want to talk about for the remainder of our time together today. First of all, change comes when we understand our new identity in Christ. Change comes when we understand our new identity in Christ. Now, let's go back to the latter part of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10. He says to us as believers, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, notice here that Paul does not say that we are to try to put put off the old self and try to put on the new self. No, he speaks of it as an accomplished fact, right? He says you have put off the old self. You have put on the new We are new in Christ as believers. Second Corinthians 517. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We just saw in in verse three for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is our position in Christ. This is who we are in Christ. This is our status in Christ. We are new. We are new. We've been made new. It, is, it has already been done. It is accomplished. That, that's our position in, in Christ. It's, it's an accomplished fact. If you have trusted in Jesus, then what what has happened? Your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. They're under the blood of Christ. Christ's perfect righteousness has been credited to your account, and God now accepts you as not guilty but righteous based on the righteousness of your Savior that's been credited to you, and He has adopted you as one of His beloved sons or daughters. Now listen, that is who we are in Christ, and it's crucial that we understand it. Because the more that we understand who we are in the Lord, our position in Christ the more that the practice in our daily lives begins to change. Now we're going to talk in a few minutes about about how that happens, about how understanding who we are in our position in Christ begins to transform the practice of our daily lives and the way that we relate to other people. But change comes when we understand our new identity in Christ. Second, change is a process. Change is a process. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says that we've put on the new self, which is what? Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice the tense there. We're being renewed. We are in process as believers. We are under construction as believers, when you look at another Christian or when they look at you, imagine a sign hanging from all of our necks. Be patient. God is not finished with me yet. We're all in process. The Holy Spirit is doing a work of transformation, but it's not complete. Change is a, a, a process. Charles Simeon was pastor for many years of of Trinity Church in Cambridge England late 1700s early 1800s great great man of god one of the great men of god in church history but as a, as a young guy as a, as a, a new christian especially he he just had some ways about him the ways that he related to other people that were they were harsh had a temper he could really be a jerk sometimes and one day he was visiting with a, a, a friend of his, a man named Henry Venn, who was a, another pastor who lived about 12 miles outside of Cambridge. And, and Charles Simeon had been, had been spending the afternoon with, with Henry Venn's family. And after he left, one of, one of Pastor Venn's daughters remarked about some of Simeon's ways that were just not very pleasing. And so the pastor took his daughter out into the yard and he pointed to a peach tree. And he said, Honey, go grab me one of those peaches. And she said, Well, Daddy, it's still really green. And he said, Yeah, it is. But let a few more showers come down. Let the sunshine be on it for a few more days, and it's going to be ripe and it's going to be sweet. And that's the way it's going to be with Charles. And it was. Uh, he, he, he became just a, a, a great man of God. His character was, was transformed by, by the Holy Spirit. But, and how does that happen? How does that transformation occur? Well, let's look at what Paul says in Second Corinthians 3. He's talking about transformation here. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, knows a couple of things about this verse. First of all, again, change is a process, right? We are, what, being transformed. We haven't arrived yet, but it's, it's, it's a process that is, is happening. We're being transformed, but how does that transformation happen? It happens as we do what? As we behold the glory of the Lord. See, here's the thing about transformation we become more and more like what we behold. We become more and more like what we behold. When we behold Christ, when we look to Christ, we become more and more like Christ, which is why worship, things like worship and and immersing ourselves in the scripture and prayer are so vital because these are ways that we behold the glory of the Lord. It's by looking to Jesus that the Holy Spirit transforms us and we become more and more like Jesus. We don't become like him by looking to ourselves, by you know looking within and just sort of... Uh, scolding ourselves and, 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 and that type of thing and sort of engaging in a lot of morbid introspection and, and that type of thing. Really, transformation doesn't happen that way. It happens when we look out to Jesus. And as we look up to God in faith, then we begin to look out to our neighbors and love more and more. Look to Jesus. Look to Him. Look to His love Look to what Christ has done for you in the gospel. Look at how much you have been loved. And what that does is it, it produces more and more love in, in our hearts. Third, change comes as we understand what we already have in Christ. Now, notice what he says in, um, at the beginning of verse 12. Before He gets into the list of things that we're to put on. What does he say? Before he mentions anything that we're to put on, what does he say? He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he gets into the things that we're to put on. In other words, before we think about what we're to put on, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember our position in Christ We need to remember how much we have been loved. We need to remember the gospel. This is how the gospel transforms relationships. The more that we understand God's love for us, the more that we're able to love other people. You see, in in every other religion in the world, uh, it's, uh, it's really good works that drive God's love. In every other religion, the view is, hey, let me do these good works and then God will be impressed and God will love me more. It's good works that drive God's love. Christianity is the opposite of that. In Christianity, it's God's love that drives our good works. It's when we understand how loved we have been in the gospel that, that we begin to be freed and our hearts are transformed to love other people. Let's take a look at some more about how this sort of works out on the ground in relationships. The gospel changes good works from vertical to horizontal. Before we understand the gospel, we think that you know, it's, uh, we, we're looking at the vertical between us and God, and we think, hey, it's my good works that are going to gain God's acceptance and love, and God says no. The gospel says no. The, the gospel says that when we trust in Jesus... The vertical is taken care of. And so God says to us as believers, I don't need your good works. Your neighbor does. Your neighbor does. If you want to, God says to us, if you want to show your love for me, then love your neighbor. Start with the people in your family. (laughs) Love your wife. Love your husband. Uh, Love your children. Children, love your parents. Start with the people that are closest to you. Let the gospel transform your family life. Seek to, to do acts of kindness for the people in, that are closest to you and then extend that out to the people in your church and, and, and get involved in your church and, and, and give and serve and love and try to build up the body of Christ and, 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 and do acts of kindness in the place where you work. May you be known where you go to school and where you work for your acts of love and kindness toward other people and and, and love lost people, people that don't yet know Christ. They need to hear about Christ from us. Sharing Christ with them is a work that they need from, from us. They need our love, our kindness. And so God says, if you want to show your love for me, then Look to the horizontal. Love other people. And so the gospel changes good works from vertical to horizontal. The vertical's taken care of now. It's our neighbors that, uh, that desperately need our, our love, beginning with the neighbors that are closest to us in our own families. Second, the gospel tenderizes our hearts toward others. Now, How so? Well, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. He's talking here about about forbearance, about forgiveness. And he says here that we're to be bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And then what does he say? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Our forgiveness... Of other people, our forbearance toward other people, and really all of these things that we're to put on, they're all grounded in the gospel. It's because we understand how we have been treated by God. How God loved us when we didn't deserve His love. How God forgave us when we didn't deserve His forgiveness. Were to forgive as God has forgiven us. The, the parallel uh, text to verse 13 is Ephesians 4:32, which says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, what? As God in Christ forgave you." See, Paul always takes everything back to the gospel. What tenderizes our hearts towards other people is the gospel. It's understanding how. God has treated us. And so, to make it very practical, if someone does or says something to you that is unkind, the temptation that immediately arises, and it may occur before you put your head on the pillow tonight, you may face a challenge like this. So let's make it very practical. In those moments when someone Treats you in a way that you perceive as being unkind. The temptation in that very moment is to think, He doesn't deserve my kindness right now. She doesn't deserve my tenderness and my love right now. And so I'm going to withhold those things. And, and maybe we might even say, I'm Not only am I going to withhold tenderness and kindness and love, but I'm going to deal out some anger and some harshness. That's the temptation in that moment. But in those moments when we're tempted to withhold love and to deal out unloving things, let's remember the gospel. Let's, let's remember that while we were Very unlovely. And while we were rebelling against God. And basically spitting in his face. And totally undeserving of his grace and kindness and mercy. That he gave us all of those things. He didn't treat us in the way that we deserve to be treated. He gave us Jesus. While we were yet sinners. Christ Christ died for us and and see it's getting that down deep in the moment in the moment when you're tempted to be unloving remember how much you've been loved by god it tenderizes our hearts here's something else that helps the gospel frees us from being so needy so that we're able to give now what is it that causes fights in relationships? In just about every fight, you can trace it back to the feeling that somehow this other person is not... You're not, you're not getting something that you need. Just about every argument and fight that we, that we have goes back to this. We perceive that there's something that we need and we're not getting it right now from this person. What if we we came to understand that we've already been given everything that we need in Christ? What if we came to understand that that in the gospel there is such a flood of love and kindness that is coming our way from God that we were freed up to love other people without worrying about how they were going to treat us? If you understand how loved you are by God, what, what God has done for you in the gospel and who you are in Christ, that you're His holy and beloved child now He's adopted you, you're his own, He is for you, not against you. I mean his love is rushing forward, His kindness and mercy and grace is rushing forward to you twenty four seven when we really understand that, you know what we're not so needy we're We're free to love other people without really worrying about how they're going to treat us in return because we've got this supply of kindness and love and mercy that we're getting from God in the gospel. That just transforms things in relationships. The gospel transforms relationships. Martin Luther, in his classic book, The Freedom of the Christian, tells a story about a king who marries a prostitute. And the the prostitute becomes, at, at the moment of this marriage, she becomes, by status, a queen. Now, she didn't do anything to make herself more queenly. In fact, in her heart, she's still a prostitute. But in status, she's a queen. But what happens is that over time, as she understands and experiences more and more of the king's love, she's not just a queen by status anymore. She becomes more and more queenly in her heart because her heart is more and more transformed by the love of the king. That's a picture of the Christian life. God God accepts us. He receives us when we come to Jesus. He receives us just as we are. But he doesn't leave us just as we are. No, He, He, he begins to do a work of transformation. And it's as we understand and experience his love for us in the gospel, our hearts change and relationships and the way that we relate to other people begins to be utterly transformed. It happens through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that changes everything. Father, we thank you that while we were still sinners that Christ died for us, we, we know that we've fallen so far short in all of these areas that we, we've talked about uh, today. But Lord, we, we thank you that you have received us based on Christ's work and, and not based upon our works. Thank you so much for the gospel. And Lord, we, we thank you for the, the way that as we understand more and more of your great love for us in Christ, that... It enables us to to love other people. We're in process; none of us has arrived. But Lord, we we thank you that the Holy Spirit, as we look to Jesus more and more, as we behold Him more and more, and we're becoming more and more like Him. Or maybe may we, may we be encouraged by that today. As we just bow before the Lord for a few moments. Perhaps you came today not certain of whether you have a saving relationship with God through Christ. Christ invites you today to to come to Him, to turn to Him. We come by faith. Just, Just call out to Him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Turn to Jesus right now and just acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself, and tell Him that you believe that He died on the cross for your sins, that He rose from the dead, and that you're giving your life to Him. You're placing all of your trust, all of your reliance upon what He's done for you in the gospel. And the Bible tells us that, that when we do that, that we're to confess Christ openly. And it's great to see those two young men going public with their faith through believers' baptism. If you're here today and... You've trusted in Christ today or at any point in the past, but you, you haven't been baptized as a believer. We want to invite you this morning to come. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just come and share what uh, what God has done in your life. We'll, we'll set up a time for you to be baptized. We want to come alongside you and, and love and just help you get started right in the Christian life. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, I want to be a, a part of a community of love. I want to be a part of this church family as we... Uh, learn to to, to love one another in the context of God's family we want to invite you to come we want to welcome you today Heavenly Father thanks for the ways that you are at work in our lives Lord thanks for the way that you've been at work in lives during the course of this service Lord we thank you for the great way that you're at work in the life of our church as we do life together for your glory Bless this time of invitation, we pray now in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1, 12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.